You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. Today, we rejoin Tenny McCarty, who will share more about her transition from her personal recovery journey into her decades of professional work in her treatment center, Shades of Hope. Let's get back to Tenny. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. sicker than my husband ever thought about me. He was just one of those quiet alcoholics that would just drink and wanted to pass out and be left alone. But, mm-hmm. you know, in that rage, and, and I'm not proud of that, but I will say um, that's one of my claims is I am a recovering rager. I no longer rage. I guess I can get angry. I can, but, you know, anger is just a feeling and it can be dealt with. Uh, but I do not rage today. And that is by totally by the grace of God and some willingness on my part. And it speaks to the fact of the living amends we work in our recovery, right, Tenny? I mean, you work diligently to not re-harm in the ways that we did in the act of addiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I was different, and it was exciting to be able to have some directions. I mean, I wanted directions, and that's what sponsors gave me through those 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had people that would hold my feet to the fire. You know, I had a sponsor one time. It was early on. My husband was still drinking, and one Monday morning, I was up washing and called my sponsor. It had been a bad weekend. My mother had been there and she was drunk. My husband was drunk, all that. So I started crying and talking to my sponsor. And she said, well, you don't come to that noon meeting anymore. And I said, well, I'm just so busy. You know, she said, well, what is that noise? And it was a racket. Da, 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 da. Well, I was drying tennis shoes and I was doing laundry. And she said, you know, anymore. The only time you call me is when there's a crisis. And she said, you either meet me at the noon meeting or don't ever call my phone again. And that scared me because that woman was my lifeline to recovery. So I got myself together and I got to that meeting and she met me at the door and said, you go in. I'd gone long enough that I thought I knew something. And she said, I want you to go in. And if you're called on, you say, I pass because you don't have anything to share. I mean, this sweet woman that was so nice and turned on me. <laughs> so, so, and this is what good sponsoring is. They will tell you the truth. Right. So after the meeting, she told me to get in my car and follow her. And so we went to this uh, kind of an early type 
of uh, Walmart's way before we ever had a Walmart. But anyway, it's kind of a general store. Mm -hmm. And we went in, and I had no idea what we were going to do, but we went back to the laundry section, and she said, I want you to get a laundry basket for each one of your kids and soap for each one of them. And I said, why? And she said, because we're going to teach your kids how to do laundry. Uh, And she said, you use your kids to keep from doing what you need to do in your program. Uh, And so she came out on Sunday and we did. We taught them laundry. They didn't all like it. But (laughs) when my bonus son went to the Marine Corps, he called me back on the first telephone call that he could make. And he said, Tenny, I just wanted to thank you. He said, I came here knowing how to do laundry, how to make a bed, how to sweep a floor. And really, that's what parents, that's what we need to do is teach our children how to take care of themselves out in the real world. So that came from good sponsorship because I did everything for my kids and my husband down to polishing their shoes, everything, because I thought if I didn't do, I was a human doer instead of a Mm. human being. And I thought if I didn't do for everyone, if they didn't have to have me, that they wouldn't want me if I wasn't doing something for them. And I will say they didn't always like it. Uh, One Sunday afternoon, I was doing my husband's laundry. All the kids were gathered up around my husband over in the kitchen area, and they were talking. And my bonus son said, well, I don't even know what to call her since she started going to those meetings. He said, I'm just going to call her she. And my oldest bonus daughter said, well, I'm just going to call her it. And then my brilliant husband said, well, let's just put it together and call her S-H-I-T. Shit. Now, that's what you put up with in early recovery. You do. People people don't always like it, but you have to just keep going. (laughs) Wow. We can laugh about all of that, but it wasn't easy. It would have been easy to give up a lot of times, but I knew I couldn't. Where does that part come within you? I mean, I just got a little tear in my eye where you said I was a human doing because I thought if I didn't do, they wouldn't want me around. But then how do you go from a place of believing that at your core to being a seeker? Like, how did that, do you think that just came in you? That was who you were? I was really a seeker from the time I went to that little church at age eight. I knew there was a better way of life, but I had such low self-esteem all of my life up into my early adulthood until I got into Al-Anon. I knew there was a better way, and I knew I had to keep looking for it. I went to every denomination, every church you can imagine. I just kept seeking and seeking. And... I did. I mean, I found God in church, but I found a deeper, really workable solution through the 12 steps. And I know a lot of people don't like the steps. In today's time, you know, we hear a lot about the 12-step program is antiquated. It's too, you know, it doesn't apply to today's time. Yes, it does. They just don't want to apply it, but I don't think. But anyway... I do believe God put that in my heart, uh, that there was a different way. And that's why it surprises me sometimes with people we work with. You know, I own a small treatment center that I put in uh, after I came home from treatment for my eating disorder because there wasn't any place to treat eating disorders. And this is an all addiction treatment center. It's called Shades of Hope here in Buffalo Gap. But I put it in wanting to 
treat all addictions because we were seeing people in good recovery from alcoholism and then dying from diabetes, from being overweight or dying from nicotine. But I've always had that love of addicts. And I know that was put in there because of my mom. I couldn't help my mother. I Mm. could not. Uh, I gave it my best shot and I did everything I could to help her and put her in and out of treatment. And I loved my mother. My mother was like my child. And so for whatever reason, God has put something inside of me that has made me uh, persevere. That is probably what I've done more than anything. I just keep on keeping on. I persevere until there's a solution. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a solution. So I appreciate you mentioning your treatment center, Shades of Hope in Texas. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the way you do it. I'm always in awe of your simplifying the process. I love touching base with you at your uh, Tenny Talks, which we'll talk about what you offer there. Because I just love hearing the back to the basics, you know, not overcomplicating it, keeping it simple, seeking the solution. When you look at your treatment center and you know, there's a lot of treatment centers out there doing it in various ways. You shared that you do work with any addiction, all addiction. Do you use the same format, the same treatment, the same 12 steps? Obviously, there's individual needs, but do you use the same basis for all your clients? Okay. Main thing that we do, now there are some things that we do with our eating disorder clients, of course, that we wouldn't do with our drug addicts and alcoholics. Although many of our women who present for alcoholism, then two, three weeks later, we uncover an eating disorder there. Mm -hmm. And with men too, not all of them, but, you know, so the main thing that we do is uh, we get them all sober, you know, Mm -hmm. clean and sober and put them all basically on the same type of food plan. Because one of the things, the man who trained me in the alcohol and drug field, he said, most of your alcoholics are going to come to you malnourished. And he said, that's one of the best things that you can do is feed them well. So we have the same meal plan. Of course, we increase the uh, amounts with our men. But anyway, so we feed them. They have good food and exercise. And then they do hear you know, lectures and, you know, about the 12 steps, but it's so much more than just the steps. That is more for aftercare. What we do here is we take people back to their core issues. Everyone has something that's in their core that is where the pain is held. So we do a lot of shame and anger reduction work. It's a hard treatment center to go through for some people because they work, they work hard and they get on the other side so many times. But so many of them will come to us after being in many treatment centers and they'll say, well, we never got this anywhere else. We never did this kind of of therapy work. It's a hard treatment center to work in even for the counselors, because it it is hard work. It's not just sitting around doing talk therapy. Talk therapy is good for, you know, to get the story straight. But after that, the experiential type of of treatment is what we really focus on. So you can tell I get excited about it. I love doing it. We've always had like a 42-day program and pretty much stuck with that. But we're seeing that people have different needs today. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at, we do an intensive once a month, 
But what we're looking at doing, and we've already started doing it, is we're going to do tailor programs more with the clients because a lot of times clients can't take off work that long. Their insurance won't pay or whatever. So we're going to tailor the program to each client. Uh, And we've already done this many times where they'll come in and do an intensive and maybe stay two more weeks. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is to help people get the help that they need and not have to, now some of them need to stay longer. Uh, But if we can get them back to work quicker, that's what we want to do. And so, like I said, it's more of a tailor-made to the individual. And uh, we see lots of good results through the type of work that we do. And what we tell people, if the pain comes back up, which it usually does, come back in six months or a year and do an intensive. And one of the things we're going to start doing is for people that have gone through any kind of program at Shades, we're going to start doing a two and a half day program where they can come in and do a piece of work. And what I mean by a piece of work, if they've had different forms of abuse or if they've had unresolved grief or if they, you know, have marital problems, any number of problems, if they've gone through a program at Shades, we want them to be able to come in and do a short-term program, like two and a half days, do a piece of work, kind of, you know, get back into the, the real groove. Sometimes it helps uh, eating disorder people to get their abstinence back. So mm-hmm. anyway, we're really trying to meet the needs and not just, be, you know, be a flat 42-day program uh, because in today's time, People just a lot of times don't have the time or money to do that. Right. Yes, things have changed in many ways. I mean, access with insurance can be a blessing, but then it's also some limitations on days and how long people can stay. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. I have a special bonus for you today. Tenny McCarty does a free Wednesday Zoom talk on a variety of topics. It's called Tenny Talks. Please find the link in my bio or on Tenny's Facebook page, spelt T-E-N-N-I-E-M-small-c-big-c-a-r-t-y. You will not be disappointed. It's just a wonderful touchstone of recovery tools to help you on your journey. Check it out. You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. When you look at intensives, what is an intensive? Who's a candidate to partake in an intensive? Okay, an intensive is we start that on Monday and it goes till noon on Friday. And it's for people that think that they might have a, an addiction, but they haven't diagnosed themselves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, I've never had one yet to come in thinking they did that didn't, you know, people don't sit around and think that they have an addiction if they don't have one. Right. Uh, and so we get newcomers, you know, coming in to really get diagnosed. And then we'll have people that are getting back on track that have been in recovery for a while. But it's really uh, more about they come in and uh, they do past work. They do what we call a life map, and we take them back into their history to see what is blocking them from the sunlight of God's spirit. And it's usually something 
you know, like unresolved sexual abuse. A lot of times the abuse really doesn't even come up until recovery. Some people come in that they need more help, but they have a fear of coming into inpatient. And so that's kind of an entry gate for them. They'll come in and do a piece of work. And many times about 40% will uh, move over into the program. But anyway, the intensive is we work 12-hour days. Uh, They get a lot out of it in a short period of time. Uh, We work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and each one of them, we limit it to six people because we work with each one two or three hours at a time. So they get a lot out of that four and a half days. You work 12-hour days still? Only on the intensive. You still do that? I do. I've been sick, and 34 years, I've only missed two. I had to miss the one in June. We started doing it about 34 years ago, and I hope to do the one in July. And uh, I love doing the work, and uh, my daughter, Kim, has, mm-hmm. she's a therapist over 30 years. She does them with me. We've been doing them for years together. And so I hope to be back in there in uh, July. We'll see. Amazing. You're you don't stop, do you? Well, I hope I won't have to. I've been I've had some illness here the last two months, but I'm working through it. I'm getting better. You yeah. are. You're getting stronger every day. I wonder if you would talk about that a little bit. I think that in your Tenny Talks, well, first of all, let's touch on that. Tell people about that. What's your Tenny Talk? All righty. During the pandemic, my executive director came to me and she said, is there anything that we can do? Like, would you be interested in uh, or willing to do a Zoom? And I said, in the first place, I don't know what Zoom is. So she explained (laughs) to me what it was. And would you do uh, something on Zoom, a talk or something? And I thought we were going to do one or maybe two. And uh, we've been doing them ever since. So what it is, is I take a subject and uh, I spend maybe 30, 35 minutes on it, and then we open it up to discussion. I mean, we get a lot of, of good, you know, people that show up on Zoom, many of them are in good recovery themselves, uh, or will have newcomers. So anyway, it's a gift. It doesn't cost anything. I enjoy doing it. Uh, we have had people from there come in and do the intensives, uh, and uh, we've had them to, like we've had some to even come to inpatient, but I do it for free and for fun. It helps me. I love doing it. And I guess we'll keep doing them as long as we have an audience. And they can be seen after you've recorded them on YouTube, correct? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. We'll make sure in the podcast I have the links to them. Your topics are very relatable. And that's where I want to transition into your health because you did a, a, a speaking engagement in the Tenny Talks about um, having to be hospitalized and making sure your family knew how to care for your recovery and your abstinence when you couldn't for yourself. So I don't know if you're willing to share a little bit about what your health changes have been and how they relate to your history of an eating disorder. Oh, absolutely. Every health issue I have is related to my eating disorder. I had the old Tommy and bariatric surgery in 1972, where they just make you a straight gut. They knew nothing about it. It was very dangerous. They don't even do that anymore. Many died from it. I did survive, of course, or I wouldn't be here. And a, a lot of us that have had that 
have a syndrome uh, with the acronym B-A-D-A-S. B-A-D-A-S, you can look it up. And only those of us who've had the surgery has this particular syndrome. And what happens is, and I've started having them, I had no idea it was connected with the surgery. And I didn't until seven years ago to know that it was really connected to the surgery. But I would start out with uh, breaking out like almost like a shingle, uh, just pimple things on my shoulders, on my thighs. That would be followed by a high fever. That would be followed by every joint in my body swelling. And anyway, I would get so ill. Mm. I would go to bed for four days and uh, wouldn't let my family, no one come in. And then they would have to give me steroids, whatever to come out of it. So I've lived like that for years and not had no idea that it was related to the surgery. And then I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So about seven or eight years ago, long story short, I had never had those biopsies. And uh, a rheumatologist said, the next time they come up, the next time you're in one of these flare-ups, I want you to go to a dermatologist and have them uh, have a biopsy. And so I did. And it was a brand new, he'd only been there a week. He just got gotten out of, of uh, medical school at Texas Tech. And I just know today that it was a real God deal. Anyway, he read my paperwork, saw where I'd had the surgery. And he said, I can't believe this. He said, the last thing he was taught before he left school was about the syndrome. Wow. And uh, his professor said, you'll probably never see anyone like this because most of them have died. Right. Uh, and so he is the one that diagnosed me with this syndrome. And, uh, you know, it didn't change much, but the awareness of what it was and how to start taking better care of myself. So for some reason or other, I did about eight years ago. And I believe in prayer. I do. But I had prayed for myself a lot. But I had a group of people that really prayed for me. And I had a reprieve from those. I would have one about every three or four months. And really, I haven't had a bad one for the last seven years until this time. And it came on. I was getting ready to go down to Miami for a She Recovers. We got to see each other there. Yes, And I had a bad fall the night before, Uh, and I landed on my left side. Anyway, but I thought that I had been in one of these flare-ups for a few days, and I thought I was on the tail end of it, and I thought, I can do this, I can go on, but I got out there, and I got sicker and sicker and sicker, and wound up in the hospital there in Miami, and uh, I got good enough to come home, and then... Two days later, I had a friend in uh, Nashville that uh, I went and stayed. My daughter and I went and stayed with her for seven days. Uh, they'd had a death in the family, and I had another fall down there on the stairs. Mm. So I came back very sick. They did some blood work, and my blood count was real low. That's what got me to the hospital was the blood count was real low. And by the time I got there, it kept getting lower. It was down to about 6.5. That's all a part of this surgery. This is why people need to really take this eating disorder serious. We do so many dangerous things to our bodies. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
then when they put me on a, a heart machine there in the ER, they noticed that I had AFib. So anyway, all of that said, uh, it's been a hard couple of months. But I have never been sick much in my life. And so it's been hard to do this. And I know I'm going to keep getting better. You know, I'll be uh, 80 in December, and I've always wanted to live to be 105. And I still think there's a possibility of that. I don't doubt it, (laughs) I don't doubt it. I adore how familiar Tenny feels to me. She reminds me of some of the legends that I used to work with and was trained by in my years at Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, such as Carolyn White, Jim Atkins, Jerry McGrath, just to name a few. I can just hear Tenny saying in her wonderful Texas twang, keep it simple, sweetheart, and get back to basics. As she says, it is hard work, but worth it. Join us next week where we finish out our conversation with Tenny McCarty. And she shares more about her personal journey, her professional career, and the passion she still holds to helping people fight the disease of addiction. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time. Please take care of you.